Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsessions will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a Hello and welcome to the Dork Forest. I'm Jackie Cation. The websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com, FamilyPetAncestry.com. They go to most of the same things all over the place. Feel free to review the show on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much. If you need to get a hold of me, it's Jackie at JackieCation.com. Let's do the credits. Patrick Brady fixed this audio. Mike Rickberg composed the opening song, sang with his wife, Sarah Cohen. Mike will sing his words to the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. Vilmos works on the website, JackieCation.com. On the website, JackieCation.com, there's links to this podcast and my comedy podcast with Lori Kilmartin, The Jackie and Lori Show. There are links to watch me do stand-up comedy. My calendar is on there where I'm performing. If you want to support the show, there's merch at JackieCation.com if you want a Dork Forest t-shirt, if you want a stand-up t-shirt, if you want stand-up CDs, uh, there is also a DVD. And the CD and DVD, everything's available streaming. The DVD is streaming on ComedyFilmNerds.com. All of my CDs are available on Amazon and iTunes and Pandora and Spotify and YouTube if you just want to listen to them before you buy them. If you want to support the Dork Forest, there's a couple of different ways. You may PayPal me uh, a donation. That's right. You could also Venmo me a donation just at my email address. You can support the show in a lot of different ways. You can get merch. You can donate directly. That button is available at JackieCation.com or DorkForest.com, and I appreciate any support that you do. There's premium episodes that you can listen to. If you've run through all of the ones that are uh, sort of archived in Blog Talk and then the almost 500 episodes on Libsyn and iTunes right now, and you need more Dork Forest, you can go to the dorkforest.bandcamp.com. There's probably a dozen live episodes. There's a couple of of free things as well, and there's a storytime album, which is me telling a couple of stories. Everything's like a buck or $2 or free. Let's get into the show. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm in a hotel room in... Denver, Colorado, at the High Plains Comedy Festival, and it's a grand opportunity to hang out with comics that I never get to see and uh, do a Dork Forest. Welcome to the Dork Forest, Nato Green. Hello, Jackie. I have been wanting to have you on the program for low these many years. Low. Low the years. The years have gone by. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad. for the, Thank you for the festival for giving us this opportunity to get together. Exactly, right? And... Um, I say this, that we should now speak. First of all, it's NATO Green. NATO, like NATO? Like Were Nor- you named after the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? No. Uh, okay. No. I, I, my little, for you are an activist. My little it, joke is that yes. I come from Lockheed Money, uh, oh. <laughs> which is false. Uh, it's, NATO is short for Nathaniel. Okay. Nathaniel is my government name. Okay. Um, so at this point, I only use Nathaniel with money in the law. Okay. Um, uh, and it's not like someone said NATO when I was 12 and it stuck. And, and it's been fun. And it's ever been fun. Since. Um, ever since. Ever since, yeah. The good times. And it's at NATO Green on Twitter and at Mr. NATO Green on Instagram. Correct. And But it's mostly just look for NATO Green and you will find stand-up comedy by NATO Green. Yeah, you, you sometimes you have to add comedy because if you if you just search NATO Green, yeah. what you find – because NATO Green is a color. Did you know that? Oh, is Like it, navy blue, NATO Green. Oh, like a panatone or like it's, an actual – It is it is the color of NATO uniforms. Okay. So – I used to do a joke about this, but if you Google me, what you find is a lot of military surplus stores in Belgium. <laughs> um, you can get, you know, right. NATO green tents and sure. ponchos and stuff. Well, who doesn't like army surplus? Sure. Uh, so, and you have a new comedy album out that came out a couple of months ago, you said, right? Correct. It's uh, the Whiteness album yeah. with the best art. It has Wonder Bread on the cover, and I think it's awesome. Uh, yeah, I uh, the Whiteness album came out uh, earlier this year from Blonde Medicine Records. Blonde Medicine uh, is the new launched uh, label. comedy label from Dominic Del Bene, formerly of Rooftop Comedy, formerly of Audible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now doing a bunch of now doing his own stuff, doing his own stuff, and uh, yeah, I'm actually I, in, in. You're pleased with it. 
you know, you know how it is for like a, for a comic in the range of how happy I ever am about anything, <laughs> which is not that happy. <laughs> I am at the higher end of that range. Of being, well, the higher end of that range as far as the pride in in this particular yeah. album. Well, people should listen to it, and then uh, if you have any negative feedback, don't give it to Nato. Yeah. He doesn't need it. But if you enjoyed it, <laughs> let everyone know. Tell, tell your tell friends. Tell people about it. <laughs> tell everyone. So, um, and then you do a monthly show in San Francisco. If people want to come and see you do stand up in San Francisco every month, I have in fact two monthly shows in San Francisco. One okay. is a, one is a pure stand up show on the second Thursday. Uh, at the Verdi Club called Verdi Wild Things Are. Okay. And the other show is on the last Monday of the month. It's a movie riffing show where we talk over movies at the Alamo oh, okay. Draft House. Oh, fun. Uh, it's called Riffers Delight. We uh, really focus on movies that people have nostalgia about that don't hold up. Oh, that don't hold up. Like Titanic. Uh, Princess Bride. Uh, uh, oh, fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Jake Weissman said the other day. On, on uh, uh, He was on the Dork Forest. He spoke of cats. A guy who loves cats as much as he does and then disses on the Princess Bride. Gutsy stuff. That's, Gutsy that's, a, stuff. that's a bold stance. It's a bold stance. But let's uh, – so those are all the things about NATO Green that you should know. And now let us get into your dorkdom, which is uh, activism. Yes. Which is weird because – you like to march. I like to march. Do you like to march or you know that you need to march? Oh, no, I like it. You like it? Yeah. All right. Do you, do you like a call and response kind of situation? I'm not, I'm not big on the chanting. Okay, uh, yeah. Like, you just like the bodies? I like the bodies. I like the signs. The signs? I like the, the sociability. Like I like, I like seeing the people there. And right, that there's, the, the, there's support for a thing. There's a support for a thing. My my, I have ten year old twin daughters. Okay, and my daughter. This is my daughter's impression of me because they I, they go to a lot of marches with me. <laughs> so my daughter's impression of me is, "Hey Jeff, blah 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 blah." This is what I do at marches. Is, <laughs> is I know everybody and people stop to chat with me. So it's just like it's your church. It's, essentially. it's like my church. I go. It's, I catch up with people. Right. How's it going? How's it going? Did Did you bring pastry? Yeah. Fuck the system. Let the fuck the system. Let's get coffee. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, I've been meaning to catch up with you. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I love the marching. I do. I'm not big on chanting. I, you know, there is a time that I like shouting. Okay. Which is uh, on picket lines. Okay. Because uh, you've done a lot of I've labor. I've done protesting. a lot of. Uh, yeah, I'm. I am the country's only semi-functional hybrid of comedian and union organizer. <laughs> um, which is so weird since uh, stand-up comedy has no union. I know. It's, yeah. Uh, it's. Um, it's got to be a bitter pill. Yeah, is it a bitter well, pill for you? Uh, it, it's it's a bitter pill to me that the comedians are more like I forget that I'm that I change gears. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. like sometimes I'll be ta- dealing with some industry person in entertainment and uh, and I'll come at them the way that I'm used to dealing with the boss in uh-huh. in union stuff and and other comics are like. You know you can't talk to people that way. Yeah. <laughs> You're scaring them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and but, I have this to say: good for you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Frighten the haircuts. <laughs> so the uh, love strikes, lots of strikes, a lot of strikes in my life. Well, that's right. And what was your what uh, did did your parents do a lot of? Yeah, my 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 dad was active in the teachers' union when I was a kid. So like, okay. one of my earliest memories was is of when the San Francisco teachers' union went on strike in 1970. Nine. Okay. And my dad, you know, was out of school, so I just hung out with him on the picket line. Right. Um, and, you know, the other teachers, were, the teachers, good with kids, played, yep. with, played with me on the picket line. So I have fond memories of, like, barbecuing and playing Frisbee with other teachers on the picket line. Oh, that's um, a – yeah, that's – So, you know, like, teachers union family. Uh-huh. And uh, and so, you know, I got into it. And uh, here's – so this is what I want – this is what you, all union people know, and they cannot say publicly because – you were not allowed to say this kind of thing publicly. Okay. But it is so fun to scream at scabs. Okay. Uh, like, like I, you know, have you ever been in a situation where uh, 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 you would like to shout at someone and then you don't because you're a nice person and there's society involved? Yeah, we're getting closer to the time when uh, <laughs> when, when when that line is going to be crossed in Jackie Cash's so, life and Jackie's just going to start shouting things. So <laughs> it's, uh, what I think, like picket lines, like you, you, you save that up. And then, right. Th- but then when the, Scabs cross the picket line. Oh, it's a free for all. It's a free for all. Okay. So, like, I d- I dig deep. Like, I you, you can know, say anything. You can say anything. You okay. Know? And so I've been like I uh, I spent many years with the nurses union. Okay. In California, and so and hospital strikes are no joke. Like hospital strikes are big money. Like they hired uh, 
you know, I was on one hospital strike where they hired um, like Blackwater type security people to like shuttle the scabs oh, like, right. across the picket line. And uh-huh. so there would be this whole thing of like security details and barricades. Yeah. And then, you know, it'd be me and like a bunch of, you know, 55 year old nurses who are like, <laughs> like matronly types, yeah. you know, who like are, are, are NICU nurses who deal with like preemie babies. So yeah. like the most fragile patients possible yeah. just like lined up and then the, see the scabs come out like, fuck you fucking scabs. <laughs> we, you were, lo- you know, just like, like losers, loser. <laughs> no one likes you. Like the meanest in- right. insults, the, you know, the, 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 you can finally vent. You can finally vent. It's very satisfying. <laughs> Uh, and do so now this is what my pinned tweet right now is because i got into it a little bit on facebook because someone said that they they're like yeah marches are all well and good but they don't do anything they don't affect any real change someone said that and i was like because i think marches are more uh what what they do is they it's a gathering of people to remind everyone that they're not alone Right, and it's a way to network, and it's a way to meet other people, and then from the march, that's where real change comes from. But the march itself, I mean, it, it used to be instead of marches, it was mobs, right? Yeah. So the one of the greatest tricks of democracy is to turn a mob with a tumbrel and a bunch of por- pitchforks and torches into a march. Right. And they're like, no, peacefully march, do it, yeah, do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's. Um, I've said a lot of things. Please yeah, speak to any of that. I have. A, I, I have. A, I have a lot of things to say. Um, f- I mean, first of all, in social change, it's never like it's never one thing. You know, there, there's and one of the basic principles of doing social change. Yeah. Is uh, the oppressor never tells you what you need to know to win? Oh right. Uh, Why would they? Right. Right. That there's there's never a time where the boss is like. If you do this, I'm going to give up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so we have to kind of the regular people kind of have to be like monkeys. And there's a whole just throw things at the wall, hoping. And there's like there's actually I mean there's a lot now that has been written about this idea that like you know you'll see in major moments of conflict in history you'll see the outward face of people saying this has no effect we don't care and then years later memoirs will come out and say we thought that we were about to be burned at the stake right Um, so you 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 sort of have to assume that that's happening okay Um, and part of the work of social change frankly is intelligence gathering about that kind of stuff but um, it you know. So they never tell you. It's never one thing. Right. Um, and Because there's so many different levels of right. things that and you so, should be doing. Yeah. If, yeah, if, you, if you go into a march thinking, we're going to do one march, and then we will declare victory, mm-hmm. and it'll be over, then you're going to be disappointed. Right, right. Because then um, we're going to go home, and we're going to play Monopoly, right. which is a, a board game about capitalism. Uh, and uh, and it was created to, impl- to, to teach people that monopolies break Economies was and isn't there? I want to say like a good ninety nine percent invisible episode about that. I don't know. Is that a podcast? It's a podcast. Sure, about design. Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I just do podcasts. I don't listen. You don't listen to podcasts. I'm the worst. So you're not the worst. You're focused. I'm very focused. (laughs) I'm getting. I'm getting mine out. I guess. So the. I mean, the other thing, like one of the, uh, uh, a lot of social change, like you don't know. How, what's going to happen? Yeah. Like one of the things that there's a the the kind of uh, faith that's involved is like sometimes sometimes you have a march or you organize a protest and nobody comes and, then, and it doesn't accomplish anything. Okay. And sometimes you do something and everybody comes and the world changes. Right. Do you know what I mean? On on December fifteenth, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Did you have any idea that we were? A, you know, a month and five days away from the biggest march in American history. No. You know what I mean? No. Which uh, one was that? The, the Women's March. The Women's March in where, D.C.? Well, the National Women's March, the right. biggest march in America, the biggest single day mobilization in American history, uh, was where, that where something like 1% of the population of the entire United States was out in the streets on that day. Oh, wow. Um, Actually, here in Colorado, there's a political scientist named Erica Chenoweth who tracks nonviolent protest movements. Okay. Who says that since... Trump was elected, 20% of the American population has participated in protests. Wow. uh, Which is unprecedented level of civic engagement and participation by the American people. And it's like... 20%. 20%. Um, And 
you know, there's this number that gets bandied about in people who study social change that it only takes three percent of the of a population to be mobilized in a sustained way. Yeah. At a high level of of participation and militants. Okay. To topple a government. Oh wow. Uh, so so twenty percent. Twenty percent have done something. Have done have, have at least showed up. Yeah. To go, yeah, th- something's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No bueno. Uh, uh, no bueno. <laughs> uh, we'll go to brunch in a minute. Right. Uh, so, so. Yeah. And um, so the biggest march in American history was a women's march. The biggest march before that in American history was, do you know? The civil rights one? No. No? It was the, it was the immigrant rights march in, on May 1st, 2006 against the Sensenbrenner. There was a, there was, uh, a, a draconian uh, anti-immigrant bill that was introduced in the uh, Republican Congress. Okay. That was in two thousand six. In two thousand six, that was sort of the precursor to that SB ten seventy bill that happened in Arizona, um, and there were there were these immigrant rights marches all over the country, immigrants walking out of their jobs. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Spanish language radio and the Catholic churches got heavily involved in organizing it. It was like a major moment for the immigrant rights movement. Um, wow, they've buried that lead since yeah. I don't even remember that, and I was a walking around human in 2006. I was I, alive. Yeah. I mean, the this is the the other thing about. Um, in some ways, you know, I feel like what I end up talking to people about is as much about activism as about hope. Yeah, is like I think a lot of people's approach to participation is things feel awful and discouraging, and I'm going to wait until it feels possible. Oh, okay. Before I go out and participate, I don't want to participate because there's no point. And what I have learned is that, like, there are always heroic people out yeah. changing the world and making things better. And that Every, the, everywhere, everywhere, every day, everywhere, every day, and there's that, someone who's trying to make it better. And that you never, you like, you never know. I mean, that Rebecca Solnit talks about about this. You know that was Rebecca Solnit, the, the writer. She wrote a book called Hope in the Dark. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, she sort of – she lives in San Francisco and uh, uh, she is, among other things, credited as the person who sort of uh, coined the concept of mansplaining. Uh, she, <laughs> well, someone had to say it. Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. so she, she wrote a book called Men Explain Things to Me. Right. Can I – very quick, funny aside. Yeah. I was at – in San Francisco, there's a music festival like in the park. Right. And I I was there just fortuitously, happened to be sitting next to her. We were chatting. Uh and a guy, an older guy, came and sat down with his chair and yep. was like on us and our blanket and our bodies. And my wife turned to me and was like, "This motherfucker is man spreading on Rebecca Solnit." <laughs> <laughs> the you huh. know like right. And so she like Rebecca without interrupting the flow of our conversation yeah. just like need him in the back yeah. until he moved uh, <laughs> <laughs> good for her yeah. like dude, I'm, I'm sure not hard just no. in a very determined kind of just to surf. make it uncomfortable yeah uh, you're so, gonna get bumped into a lot a until, lot. until you, you figure out your space situation right yeah so okay so the the idea of of hope is that no one knows their own destiny that okay. that, that pessimism is is uh, and cynicism is uh, a uh, is the is a perspective of certitude, yeah. and that that the time and time again the story of social change um, uh, is that somebody tries something and you never know what's about to erupt. Do you know right. what I mean? Occupy Wall Street happened September seventeenth, two thousand eleven. It was it that was possibly the third or fourth similar type of attempt that year right. to have like an occupation again that symbolized something about inequality. Yeah. The other ones didn't take off. No, yeah. you never sort of know why conditions are going to line up and one thing will take hold and capture people's imagination right. and erupt. Um, you know, but it did, uh, uh, you know, after, um, George how many Zip- people came to that? I mean, what, Here's the thing about, about about activism is that I know I know that that I've been stuffing envelopes for 40 years, right? And uh, I have been put to work by my sister and uh, to call people and to do these things and I've I've done sit-ins and I've and I've waned on it. There's been decades when I haven't uh, done any activism and um, except for donated, you know, like 100 bucks. Uh, and it's it's something that that it can feel hopeless. It can feel like it's not, 
it's not making any difference. But I know you're right. I know that the cynicism is what they want us to believe, you know, it's because it, it can paralyze you. So what uh, – talk to me about the – first of all, the immigrant bill. What was it in 2006? To the, so it was the, the – I mean essentially it's – the conversation hasn't progressed that much. It was a – it had some partial naturalization path to citizenship combined with a whole lot of increased enforcement and – Deportation oh. and surveillance. Okay, and and people didn't want it, and you know then it was at, shot down, and, and then it was done at a state level. And in- then yeah, it was it it was the you know then as now uh, the immigrant immigrant voices were not part of the negotiations over the bill. It was right. driven by you know mostly by anti-immigrant hysteria, and the um, you know. There was a big uh, immigrant mobilization, particularly among Latinos, to block it successfully. It scattered to the state level subsequently, and there were a bunch of state-based anti-immigrant bills yep. that then were that were passed, that were litigated. Some got struck down by the Supreme Court, and um, some are still in effect. And some are still in effect, and you know, and that's that's also why um, the Dream Act, yeah, uh, became the rallying cry. You know, under Obama, that there had been a, a a decision, you know, to back away from the idea of comprehensive immigration reform is the way they talked about it, bringing all 11 million undocumented immigrants out of the shadows uh, and just focusing on the so-called dreamers. Um, the Dream Act was failed uh, in the lame duck Senate in at the end of 2010 because six Democratic senators, including Joe Manchin, voted against it. Huh. Um, uh, and I didn't realize this but just today someone told me that that or not today just this week uh i learned that the day that the democratic senate failed to pass the dream act that had passed the house uh was all, the same day that the senate passed the repeal of don't ask don't tell um uh which to lift the ban on gays and right military in the military um so you know and that was ha- it some sort of deal no it wasn't a deal it was it was really i mean i i i Mention the the don't ask don't tell that yeah to to say that in both of them it 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 indicated where public opinion had moved at that point that by the time we got to repealing don't ask don't tell seventy percent of the population was in favor of repeal yeah uh, and so it was an easy relatively easy lift that wasn't the case with the Dream Act it is now like if you look now public opinion is you know thanks to Trump I mean Trump has sort of had this like weird. You know, as much as horrible as Trump is and as powerful as he seems, in many ways, like, if you look at the bigger trends in public opinion, like, yeah. like you know, the, the now super majorities of the American public think that immigrants are a good thing for society. Right. Um, you know, the DREAM well, Act has, has become the right wing of... You know, Green, you were giving me hope. You were doing good work here. That's what I'm here for. That's what that's what it ought... I mean, that's, that's what the dork forest should do. It's like, it encourages me, because the thing is, is is I do get depressed. I do get worried and I and I fear about, you know, because there's so many dirt bags. But it's I forget every rock has turned over and they've crawled out. But that doesn't mean that they've that there's more of them. It just means that we're the light is on every creep that has ever existed in America. For some reason they feel that it's okay to, to pipe up. Right. And it 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 just it makes better people better and marginal people better like every like uh, people who don't want to get involved like if you look at like just grandmas and grandpas who are like well you can't say that about luis he's a good guy and i mean it's just it it becomes like people who traditionally might have looked the other way at bad things mm-hmm. will when faced with actual evil Many of them will rise to the occasion and say, "Not okay." Right. Yeah. And uh, well, and to some extent, I feel like, you know, in 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 my darkest hours, yeah. The you know, I I I think like I was I was a history major. I think I read a lot of history. I think a lot about history, and I spend a lot of time thinking about how history will be written fifty sure. years from now. Sure. And so, whatever we're living through now will end. And in my darkest hours, what I ask myself is, when we get through this, right. whoever survives, right. some, some of us will survive. People will survive. And, and we look back, 
do I want to be ashamed about the choices I made? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, would my kids say to me, how did you fuck up the world so bad? Right. Do I want to be ashamed about the choices I made? Right. And say, yes, the, the world is, is, is fucked up. And I, and I did try to fight it. And I, and the, the whole right side of history for the, as the dumbest reason in the world to do the right thing, let that be your reason so that right. you're on the right side of history. If that's the only reason you can come up with, you know, you don't want to sit and you don't want to go to Nuremberg, you know, right. you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, this is like uh, an idea. Uh, this, uh, I have thought about doing this as a, as a bit on stage. I haven't quite figured it out yet, but, but <laughs> well, some I- of these things are so complicated. The idea that, that, Every issue has the last asshole in history. Do, <laughs> what do you mean? Do you, like somebody, like somebody had to be the last guy yeah. with a no dogs or Irish sign in his window. Oh right, you right. know what I mean. And his children were like, "Dad, take the sign down." We, right. We're like Kennedy is president now. Right. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Like if we could please. Um, yeah. And so, like you know, these these people who've come out from under the rocks, the, the extreme, you know, emboldened. You know, reactionary, racist, misogynistic, xenophobic. You know, at like this this core support for Trump yeah. is maybe eighteen percent of the population, right? Um, so you know, it's this is what we're witnessing is I am convinced the death rattle of an old order, uh, and it can do a lot of damage on the way out, right? But you know, and it, we will have to recover from it, but absolutely, but, but at least. It's not like Reagan, where you know in the eighties there was like landslide public right. support, support for that agenda. For that agenda, and he just destroyed entire institutions and and crippled generations. This they it'll it might take us fifteen years to you know sort of come back from this, but it's and and I've and I've said this since Trump went in is that I'm a big fan of. You can have all the money. Take all the money. Go off into the world. Take it all, but just seriously fuck off. Mm-hmm. And because uh, we will rebuild when you are gone. Right. But just try to, you know, if we could just try not to get things passed, you know, that we will then have to repeal. And and the and so so there's there's marching. There's, there's marching. There's activism. Well, actually, let's talk about the union thing. Yeah. So. If if because didn't wasn't your your day job was that of a union activist wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, like a lot of I started out uh, I was I was something called a salter. S a l t. S a l t. Okay. Which is someone who gets non union jobs in order to organize them. Okay. So <laughs> when I was, like, you know what I see that NATO uh-huh. you uh, enjoy a button and yeah. you will push it. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> y- yeah, and and you know for whatever reason I'm someone who's completely comfortable with conflict and confrontation. Right. Like complete resting heart rate while everyone else is screaming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is uh, yes. Uh, those guys, you got to go out and see NATO because it's it's you'll see him and go. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. The I got you know when I was twenty two or something I got a job at Noah's Bagels and organized a union there. Okay, um, and then I got a job as a car messenger and organized it. Worked spent several years as a car messenger and organized a union of, of biking car messengers. Okay, uh, and we had we joined the longshoremen. Um, so I I was a for a time a card carrying member of the longshoremen's union. Okay, um, we had. As bike messengers, biking car messengers, we had 20 strikes in a year and a half. Okay. Because the nature of the work is like everything has to be moving an hour. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, oh, you fired that guy? Our radios are off until he comes back. And then an hour and a half later. Right. Uh, Everybody. <laughs> the guy's back. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I uh, raised a bunch of foundation money and started the country's first worker center for young and immigrant workers in the low wage service sector. What does that mean? What What are the words that you are? They are words. I do not know. So uh, there, there is a so in you the, sort of the foundation. I raised foundation money. Okay. To start an organization. Okay. That's called a worker center. So, worker center. Yeah. So there's there's a lot. There are unions. And in the United States, unions are defined by collective bargaining. Unions okay. negotiate union contracts. Okay. So the Teamsters have a contract with UBS. The Writers Guild has a contract with the consortium of TV and movie studios. Right. Um, 
you know, ner- the nurses' union has contracts with hospitals. Uh, unions are all, it's all about the contract. Okay. Uh, as you know, there are lots of people who have jobs where no one is they have problems and they might want to do something about the conditions of their job. Yeah. But maybe the existing unions don't quite fit what they're what they do. Okay. And so. Um, and you don't want to go to HR. Right. You don't oh want to go to HR. And so there was this explosion of these sort of independent workers organizations that got a lot of foundation support. Okay. Um, that, that, oh, that, that would then do bargaining for these weirdo jobs? Yeah. Or bargaining one-off? or advocacy or, or protests. Like a lot of them did. It was you, someone to go to. Yeah. It was someone to go to. So like a lot of worker centers did stuff around wage and hour compliance. So like for me, working with particularly restaurant workers. Okay. Rest, the restaurant industry is a lawless industry. So yeah. it's, it's not even, we're not even talking about union contracts. We're talking about minimum wage and overtime. Yeah. Uh, and legal rest breaks. Uh, right. And having your boss not steal your tips. Yeah. And so just getting these restaurants to comply with the existing law yeah. was a win. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we did. We did, we did, we brought wage and hour claims. Nice. We uh, had protests. Um, we did media work. We did legislative advocacy. So we, in 2003, sponsored the first citywide minimum wage initiative in okay. the city of San Francisco. Uh, we sponsored a paid citywide paid six days law that took effect, um, helped win millions of dollars in back wages okay. for low-wage and immigrant workers and young workers in restaurants in San Francisco. Um, I... Uh, one time, you know, I would represent workers in hearings in front of the California Labor Commissioner, and the restaurant bosses would come in yeah. and say, you know, with their lawyers. Yeah. And I had a lawyer once get in my face and say, you know, are you a lawyer, Mr. Green? And I said, <laughs> I said uh, no. And he said, it, it must be nice to. I said, but but I, I like having mail addressed to Nato Green Esquire anyway. Um, <laughs> and he said, it must be nice to use the title without going to school to earn it. And I said, well, I also put Reverend on my plane tickets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, Which is a classic, just baiting, yeah. you know, it's just, that's fun for you. Right. That it's, is, you're like... Did you want – you're not going to shame me into right. not advocating for these people who have no rights. Yeah, well, and then I was like, yeah. uh, and you may be a lawyer, but I'm still going to beat you. Yeah. Uh, this is a, one, of my, one of my other – remember the old adage, a great NATO green principle about social change. Yes. Do not make threats you can't deliver on. Oh, fair enough. Uh, so – Okay. Which, which is to say always make threats that you can deliver on <laughs> is the corollary. <laughs> fair enough. It's uh, – I think somebody uh, – uh, I had a, a situation in, in the – oh, I know. My brother uh, was uh, – he is a, a teacher. He is a, a, he, an econ professor at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. And one of his students was raped on campus. But she was uh, – she then dropped out of school and came to him and said, I've dropped out of school. I got to go get some help. And he said, and did you uh, tell the police – about this and she said I told the campus cop but he said because it didn't happen on campus and I'm and I and I just dropped out that he can't do anything about it and my brother said oh pardon me and he went and he talked to that cop and he said you were going to to bring you're going to fix this and the the campus cop said um well she's not in school anymore it's no longer my jurisdiction and Russ <laughs> Ruskation actually said to him, "Is this how you wanted your career to end?" <laughs> and uh, the guy, and Rus goes, "I'm not. It's actually not a threat. That's actually a promise because this it will come out, and I I don't even have to do it." He's like, "You will go to the city police. You will figure out what the hell has happened, and you will bring this guy to justice because this is not." This no, this doesn't happen today. Not here. Not right now. And uh, I was like, "Oh my God, you're a damn hero." Yeah. Well, I mean, just again for me, like sort of my temperament. Yeah. Uh, uh, there have been times in my like I've I've sort of gone back and forth between doing comedy full time and doing activism full time. Yeah. And I don't. On some level, I don't really care which one pays me. <laughs> I've just accepted that I need to do both. Okay. Because, yeah. Because when I don't do activism. I become annoying. Oh. Um, because <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you have my skill set and my impulses yeah. and I don't have like a real Outlet? project to yeah. pay attention to, then I'm just like picking fights with strangers on the street. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, like Right. And uh, if you don't do stand up? And if I don't do stand up, well, yeah, I mean there was the uh, I had a, a there was one time I had a, like a long spell of 
the longest spell in 10 years of not doing stand-up, which was not that long. It was like five weeks. Okay. And uh, we were at my parents' house in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and my wife was like, you're annoying me. Oh. You, you need to find an open mic somewhere. Because <laughs> you're just riffing. Yeah. And so when, when I don't do stand-up for a long time, I turn into my dad a little bit, and every waitress, every concierge person, uh, I'm just trying to make them laugh just doing bits uh, very bad it is yeah. not okay people are at work leave uh, them alone and so so then i like i you know we're in we're in cape cod i yeah. found a i found a, a best of boston showcase 45 minutes away in the basement <laughs> of a double tree in hyannis <laughs> i drove sure. i drove out there talked my way onto the show okay uh got to do a set got to do a set bled off some of that need yeah. and i and and there wasn't even it was like okay well this is just you know this is just like a this is a thing that I know about myself. Is yes. I am a person who is gonna have to go talking to microphones right. to strangers. Yes. Or I'll feel feel crazy. Or you'll feel crazy. Fair enough. Uh so there you have it. My ad, my ad, my ad. I'm about to do an ad. Hey guys, it's Jackie. And today's ad is for vitamins at takecareof.com. There is this online quiz that you take at takecareof.com that will tell you what kind of vitamins and supplements you can take. It asks you about your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle choices. It takes five minutes and you find out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. It's a monthly subscription, right? So your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs. It puts honesty first, providing all of the research that supports each of their recommendations, backed by a scientific advisory board. And a portion of every sale goes towards the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. There's vegan and vegetarian supplement options. Here's the deal for Rangers. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, you visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code DORK. Always remember, not a lot of people live by a code. But here in the Dork Forest, you can live by a code. Let's get back into the show. Did the Young Worker stuff. Went to work for the nurses for several years. Okay. Um, uh the nurses union, big and powerful union in California. Yeah, did uh, had a bunch bunch of years of, of uh, learned a lot. Great work doing that. Uh, stopped and did comedy full time for several years. Okay, um, among other things, including going to New York to write on Totally Biased. Okay, Kamal Bell's first show. That first show on FX that then they moved to FXX, so it, it was like a death knell. Yeah, you're like what? Because it was such a good show. It yeah, was they, a really they, good show. they moved to FXX and and to. Five nights a week at the same time. Oh, right. And like, like essentially quadrupled your workload right. and moved it deeper into cable. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, for the last several years, the last, my last, what a mission or whatever, I was consulting for SEIU just doing collective bargaining. So they would bring me in to just to negotiate. What's cost. SEIU? SEIU is the Service Employees International Union. It's one of okay. the biggest unions in the country. The branch of it that I have a relationship with yeah. and will probably and will expect to work with again uh, is a large public sector, local government in Northern California. So okay. cities, counties, some uh, 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 like uh, transit agencies, te- people who aren't teachers at public schools and community colleges, like the you know school, school janitors, for oh, example, okay. uh, and like cafeteria workers, that oh, kind of okay. thing, um, libraries, uh, and then some some private sector stuff. Like I, um, the last thing that I did was we uh, SAU has been doing a whole national program to organize adjunct college professors. Okay, and so we organized seventeen hundred adjuncts at seven private colleges in the Bay Area, and then I helped coordinate negotiating all those contracts so the, the first contracts for the adjunct professors okay um what's the definition of an adjunct professor uh an adjunct professor as opposed to a tenured track or full-time professor oh, okay. these are professors who are hired and paid per semester per class so instead of having a job they'll be oh. like we want you to teach one section of english 101 and we're going to pay you three thousand dollars for the semester right uh, okay, that's what Andy does. My husband. Oh yeah. He teaches uh, game design at uh, New York Film Academy, and uh, he's also teaching some sort of narrative, and it's per class. He gets right. played per per class, and he had to negotiate that contract himself because it's it's contract work. 
right and so the you know there's there's pretty like there's been stories about like adjuncts you know like dying in their cars you know and like because oh, right they because they're a, not making the, the right they, money they don't make luckily he has other work right and so and he, he, has he, this, he doesn't have to live he has off the of jackie this. cajun gravy chain to keep him right himself. exactly he doesn't want to get in on this high plains denver money i know uh, <laughs> so but, uh you know, you can. Denver's gobbling up the Dork Force stickers. Exactly, I'm sure. there's stickers. <laughs> um, there's, I sold a lot of merch in Fort Collins the other night, actually. So good for me. The so uh, I saved you a meat shield shirt. Though. Thank you. There I you can't. Go. I'm gonna wear it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, like it's it's been in the last thirty years. There's been this shift in higher education. Thirty years ago, like seventy percent of teaching was like full time. Okay. Tenure track. Professors, oh, right. and it's the ratio is flipped. So now, like most of college instruction in the United States, is taught by this contract business, part time, contingent, uh, no job security, no benefits, no pension plan, right? Uh, paid by class. People don't know from one semester to the next whether they still have a job, right? And uh, yeah, every semester, Andy's like, "Oh, he wants me to teach again. Oh, right. he doesn't need me to teach that one again." And I'm like. Is that how this goes? And he's like, and he does it because he gets to talk about uh, games nine hours a week uh, with uh, youth. Uh, he gets to talk to the youth about board games and video games and 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 game design. So it's fun for him. And then there is some money. So right. I mean, it, there are people. You know, there's like there's some amount of people who do adjunct work who have another gig right and they do it like as a way to stay connected to the youth and whatnot right or to you know there's a bunch of people who like i got a phd in in history and i thought i was going to be a historian but there are no full-time history jobs so i'm adjuncting so they have to adjunct and they need that job as a job and those people don't there's no one to advocate except for these kinds of organizations right and so you know in the last four years nationally we've organized fifty thousand adjuncts that probably 60 colleges and it has to be done is it piecework it has to be done one at a time uh, with, or do you do it per a private college we go one college after another one college after another just sort of let's look at these pile of people yep. and let's look at their organization and and how bad they're screwing them and let's try to organize yeah oh it, wow uh it, and it's it's the 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 downside of working with adjuncts uh compared to other types of unions yeah is that because they are intellectuals, yes, they have this incredibly naive belief that having the best argument matters in this oh. world. <laughs> right, uh, like, right. If only I can write another paper to explain why we deserve dignity and justice in our lives. <laughs> right. Would if that would have worked, I'm yeah. sorry, that would have worked back uh, in yeah. the 1700s as well. So, uh, but. This country was founded by a bunch of those nerds yeah. uh, who were just like, we're going to write the best paper and King George is going to believe us. Yeah. And, and, and I keep, I was, I'm always telling them, you know, why, why say in one page what you can say in five? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, right. They, they, they're, they're windy. They're uh, windy folk. They're windy. So for, fortunately, my wife is an academic and so okay. I sort of speak their language okay. uh, enough. And I've like, I've read enough. I can pass. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, you could have done it. I, I mean, could the, have done it. That's the that's the thing. What I meet so many people who are like, well, I I don't do that, and but you're like, oh, I bet you could have though. Yeah. I bet like you could have been a professor uh, easily. It would have been. Uh, My a, grandparents would have been so much happier with me. So proud. <laughs> they were like, they're like, why can't you be a labor historian or labor <laughs> economist or labor law professor? <laughs> like, That'd be awesome. Why, why do you have to be the guy getting screamed at on picket lines? <laughs> exactly. By, you know. Uh, You're like, well, he, Dad shouldn't have taken me to the yeah. to the strike. Um, Who doesn't so, love the barbecue? But we like a lot of that stuff. You know, it's still step by step. But um, you know, in some of these adjunct contracts. At the high end, the best you know, the best contract we negotiated, uh, we got those workers a sixty percent raise. Okay, so that's not nothing. That is not nothing. Now, talk to me about the nuts and bolts of that. Is that you? Let's say you go to uh, a privately run Devry like kind of situation, right? Yeah, mostly, it's Devry. Devry is for profit, so I believe. So mostly, it's nonprofit colleges. Okay, so. Uh, Would, is it easier to work with nonprofit colleges than profit colleges? Yeah, 
Yes. Um, I mean, interestingly, the schools that we found were, were the easiest to deal with were tended to be the Catholic colleges because – like they usually have a bunch of Catholic social justice mumbo jumbo in their mission statement, right? So and, th- then they have to rise to the occasion. And so then, like, and they have clergy on the faculty. Okay. And so, uh, you know, when I negotiate a union contract, I have a bargaining team that is elected from the membership who sits at the table with me. Okay. Um, that's how most union negotiations work. Is there's a member based bargaining team along with like a lead negotiator person like me. Okay, so you come in from outside but ever, everybody else on that team is local. Right. Okay. And so it's sort of it's the idea that you have a marriage of the people who have in-depth knowledge of the needs and conditions of that situation right. and the person like me with the technical knowledge about Right, who how, can put it all in a binder. Yeah. And go this here's your here's your talking points. Here's here's the things you have to get right. from these people. I know that you would also you're willing to settle for certain things, but you shouldn't be because you should get these four things for sure right. and that type of thing. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so like a lot of times – and this is the part – one of the things I love about negotiations is like I could get dropped in with a group of workers yeah. blind, knowing nothing about the situation. Right. And just I get to listen to people complain about their job for two hours <laughs> and then be like, okay, how Where's do – Where's that podcast? How do, we tur- how do we turn this into a plan? Right. You know? Uh, and right. then, and then, and then I say something oh my like, God. "Okay, why don't we make a plan and then implement it?" And people are like, "Why didn't anyone suggest that before?" <laughs> right? No, we were just going to bitch about it for twenty five years and then retire. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Not I understand. No, that's it exactly. Is like you're sitting there, you're the outside person who comes in and listens to them bitch while you take notes. You're like, okay, that's a real thing that we could address. What else? Oh, right. I can't stop. Marilyn from stealing your lime yo play. No, that is not to be addressed. Well, I mean, what I, like what I tell people is, uh, you don't have a you don't have a right to have a boss who's not an asshole. Okay, you know what I mean. Fair enough. That that your your boss can hate you. Yeah. They just can't do things to you. Right? They can't. They can't do. You know, I uh, had a friend who uh, gave me some amazing advice probably 15 years ago. Two things she said that are still with me. She was like, when you make a mistake, apologize in the moment. And if you don't apologize in the moment, go back, find the guy who was essentially packing my groceries that I whipped a bell pepper at. Find that young man and apologize to him because that is not okay. You are a child and uh, you're in the wrong. Please correct your wrongs as you go. And what that made me do is it made me never whip another bell pepper at another person because I didn't want to apologize. She's like, it will create a restraint of pen and tongue in the moment if you have to apologize. So that was the first advice. The second advice, god dang it, I forgot what we were talking about. (laughs) What were we talking about? Uh, Oh, work. work. Bosses. Bosses. So she also, I was complaining about my last day job. Uh-huh. Uh, or some day job I had. And she literally... Which was in the 1840s. Which was back in the 1840s. And she drew a map. And it was essentially just a um, just a, a, a grid like this, right? And she wrote the word boss on the top. And then she drew a line to me, employee. And she said, okay, so this is the boss. The boss writes you a check to do a certain amount of work. Is your boss asking you to do something that is not in your job description? And I said, no. And she said, and is your boss uh, rude to you when she asks you to do it? Is she being exceptionally mean? I was like, just sort of not entirely. And she's like, okay, are you being paid to do the thing she's asking you to do? And I said, yes. And she was like, well, you don't have a leg to stand on then, is what she said. She said, just do, unless she was asking you to do something that's outside of your job, or that is dangerous or not good for you, or if she was doing it in an abusive fashion, those are the three things that you could say, no, I don't want to do that. If you don't want to do the job, that's you not wanting to do the thing you're being paid for. And that's a different problem. Right. And uh, I was like, I don't even know how we got on those two topics. And that was over the course of me knowing this is a, fr- a long-time friend of mine. So what – is that a real – Yeah. I mean, well, the other thing I would say is if you're not getting paid enough to do the job description, then you need to organize a union and get paid more. Oh, right. Well, right. I mean, the thing is, is if I was not – if I don't want to do the job that I'm being paid for, what – 
what amount of money would make me want to do that job? And then right. ask for that amount of money. That's actually one of the things my father consistently says. Never say no without a number. I think that's a uh, I, you, you said that to me not that long ago. And I, I, it's, uh, he is not I, wrong. I, I, I apply it. I apply that lesson. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that what part of what I, lo- I love about union negotiations yeah. specifically is that you, you is is the complexity that you have to think about like I'm I have my bargaining team of some you know I've I've had worked with bargaining teams that are from between three people and forty people oh really um and of the of the so members. forty people walk into a conference room yeah wow who are my members that I have to figure out how to corral okay and so uh so. There's the part of it that is thinking about the contract. Like, what are the problems that people have? How do those problems get solved in negotiations? Are there ways to modify the proposal to get past the obstacles to reach an agreement? So, there's like the technical aspects of like, how do we solve these problems? Okay. Then there's also the big picture of the power relationships, like that, you know, the relationship between the boss and the workers, how much are each side afraid of each other? How much leverage do we have to get what we want if things get stuck, right? Uh, wow. And then at the same time, there's also the group dynamics. There's the group dynamic on my side of the table. There's a group dynamic on the other side of the table. There's everybody in the room together. Yeah. I get, I'm a comic. I get to, that's how I manage the group dynamic. Right. You, you, you get laughs. I get you, laughs. You work the room as, a, as an audience. Uh, including <laughs> the other side. Yeah. And so it's not uncommon for me to have people on the other side of the table being like, don't laugh at him. You know, oh my God. To, 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 their, to their other people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't right. It's just a sign of weakness if he yeah. can make you laugh. Uh, um, so, um, uh, so like have you know? I'm like fully engaged intellectually because I have to think about all those things at the same time. Right. And the power stuff is like, uh, in some ways, you know, if if sometimes sometimes it's hard to get an agreement because uh, because the things that people want are just like incompatible in some clear way okay sometimes it's hard to get an agreement because people hate each other it's not about the issues it's just about the the, the personalities yeah the like the relationship you know the managers have been abusive they hate the workers the workers hate the managers there's no trust in the room okay and so people it's like people hate each other too much to be able to actually resolve the issues that they have right and it's not about the issues it's about revenge or whatever yeah um how do you deal with that i mean well, when, when the when the personalities are so high uh the I am a big believer in the in the idea that the best cure for the ills of democracy is more democracy, um, huh. and that and that as a union, our our absolute obligation and our power comes from the membership. Mm-hmm. I'm in the room with the bargaining team who's elected to represent the membership. When in doubt, go back to the membership. So, okay. So if things get stuck, if people can't reach agreement, if we right. don't know so what to do, if, if you have a dozen people and and you get us. Uh, Stuck like log logged up. Uh, you take it to the larger group, right? Go out to go, un to unplug it. Yeah, go out to the work sites, have membership meetings. I need to hear from the members because, like, the people at the table get this. You know, the, and part of what I end up doing in terms of the is is early on preparing people for the emotional journey of negotiations. Like, you're going to come in, you're going to want this stuff. Uh, you're going to you you are going to be super aware. At every point of everything that you tried to get that you didn't get, okay, and it always happens that um, you know there like we don't realize until afterwards how much we actually did get, okay, um, and so it, things because you're just gonna you're hyper aware of what you didn't get because everyone's always hyper aware of what they didn't like get. we proposed this and we got some lesser thing and we're upset that we didn't get the thing that we really wanted and we don't realize how much the lesser thing is actually going to matter to our members right and then we go out and take it to the members and the members are like what are you talking about this is great right um, so, <laughs> right and my and I, and so like there's a point that comes where I tell I I tell my bargaining team I'll say get ready. We are about to reach the part of the negotiations where we all yell at each other. <laughs> um, you're going to get upset, and we're going to yell at each other. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Uh, It'll be fine. The, the part where you, you have to make decisions about when to settle. Because uh-huh. what I tell the bargaining team, with the bargaining team, it's not my decision to settle. My members, so my, the, my, the members have to decide. Okay. Because I'm going to walk away. Yeah. So I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna, you have I, to go to the next thing. I have to go to the next thing. You all have to live with it. Yeah. So you have to decide when we're done. Yeah. Uh, and... It's like it's very intense. It's very emotional, and there's the, the what what people go through at the moment of deciding to settle is incredible. 
it's like um, uh, I, sh- I can illustrate this with a story. Please. Um, uh, several years ago, I negotiated the contract for the nurses who worked at San Francisco General Hospital. So, okay. Or uh, public sector nurses. There were, there were about 2,000, 2,500 members, maybe 20 people on the negotiating team. Okay. And at the very end of negotiations, what was left on the table was uh, was – uh, management had proposed a few takeaways of mm-hmm. cuts that were targeted at specific groups of workers. Okay. And we had a few achievements that we hadn't won yet. Okay. And uh, and the takeaways were targeted the highest paid of the nurses. Okay. Uh, um, including my wife. Uh-huh. My wife is a nurse, nurse practitioner who works for San Francisco. Department of Public Health. Okay. And so she, she was like, motherfucker, you better get back in there and fix this. You, know I mean? <laughs> uh, you are on commission you right now. You will not be losing <laughs> our, I don't know, whatever it is. Right. Uh, uh, so, um, but, you know, so so it's like, it, you know, we've been in round-the-clock negotiations for four days. Nobody slept. Uh, it's, you know, on the 11th hour. It's a decision about, what you know, there's a moment about what are we holding out for, right. right? Are we holding out for the things that we wanted to win that we haven't won? Are we holding out for to stop the take the cuts that we don't like? Right. Or both, right? Yep. And we went around the room and unanimously. Okay. Every, and everybody got to talk. And yep. every member of the, in the room said, at the, in my heart of hearts, what matters is that no one gets left behind. Okay. It's not about everybody getting as much as they could get. Yeah. It's about nobody gets left behind. Okay. And... The nurse practitioners who were the highest paid people, who were the ones who were affected by that, yeah, they were not the majority. They could, if we had gone to a vote, they would have lost, right? right. Just on that issue, it was a, it was about the, everybody else in the room taking a principal position. We are a union. No right. one gets left behind. That's the principle. Nobody gets left behind, and if the highest end has to take a, a small cut so that the lowest end gets gets a benefit, and it sort of evens out. Well, is it's that no, what it was? No, or? it's it's nobody gets left behind. So like. That these people were going to get a, like everybody else was going to get something. something. Is these people except were going to take the a, except for the highest people? These people were going to take a cut. Okay. Uh, and so they said we're not we're not letting anyone get it, the principle was oh, okay. we're not letting the highest paid people getting get picked on this time because we know that it means that next time it's us. Yes. Next time it's everybody else. Okay. Uh, if if we're if the, what they're doing is they're testing the water. Yeah. They're like, are you willing to throw Marie Antoinette under the bus because next time <laughs> it's going to be the rest of you? It's going to be yeah. the bourgeoisie. Interesting. Interesting. And. You know, people people were crying, and it was emotional. They were upset, <laughs> and, and you know, and, but everybody came together, and we got what we needed to get out of that. Agreement. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, and people came to you know felt like it was one of the most successful negotiations they've been through in a long right. time. So that four days, no sleep. Yeah. So where are you? Are you uh, you're meeting together with the your team, their team in one room like, for hours on end? Like yeah, we're we were in that case we were at a union hall where we were in a con- there was a uh, like we had one conference room and the boss had another conference room and then they like they we would come in and meet together right in a in a common room with everybody together. Okay, so you would you would both go and uh, just sort of huddle with your people discuss yeah. discuss and then regroup and talk about what you were and were not willing to to do. Right. Okay. And that would last 4 days nonstop? Yeah, frequently at the, at the very end it can go like at the end, you know, you don't want to main, you can't maintain that. Yeah. But at the end of negotiations when you think a deal is is in sight, you can push it. Okay, cuz nobody wants to leave. Well, You're just like let's just finish this. It also like with, you know, this is the sort of art and not the science of negotiations, but sometimes there's a window to get a deal. Okay. And if you blow the window, then it's hard to get back to it. Okay. Um, oh, so oh, right. So you have the momentum. It's like, it's like yeah. If I if I feel like there's mo- there's momentum to get a deal, people and, nobody leave. Yeah, I mean, there's so in 1997 there was a Bart strike in San Francisco. Bart is the big transit agency. Okay. And it was like five days into the Bart strike. Then Mayor Willie Brown called the head of Bart and the union into his office and basically said, "I'm locking the doors. Nobody leaves until there's a deal. The deal's done." Okay. Like that. Um, there is some value. I mean, this is when I talk about managing the group dynamics. Yeah. In making everyone miserable at the end, everybody needs to, everybody needs to physically feel 
the discomfort of not reaching agreement. <laughs> right, uh, right. Like people I need suppose. to be tired, hungry, cranky, have to go to the bathroom. You he, know, right. Like, Is this bottom? Right. Right. What are you willing? What are right. you willing to do? Right. Are Are we really going to drag this out over one more percent? Yeah. Right? What is this? What is this about? Yes. You know what I mean, and this, this is what I mean. Is like like for for uh, it's my favorite part of negotiations because you get like you it it tests people's metal. People okay. find out what they're real, what kind of leaders they are. Okay. Because some people are like I'm gonna st- I, you know I'm gonna fight until the end. I like. And to some extent, people—the people who say that they want to keep fighting—sometimes there are people who are like, "I want to keep fighting," and our members are willing to keep fighting. Okay, that's great. If, if as long as the members are willing to keep fighting, I want to keep fighting. Yeah, I, I, I'm never going to stop the members from picking a fight. Right. <laughs> uh, but if the members are like, are if, you, done. if you feel like the members are done, and then there's somebody, there's the twelfth angry man on the negotiating team who doesn't want to be done. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What's what's on? The, what, why? Right. What's his agenda? What what's her agenda? Why are why why are they still fighting? What are they fighting? Yeah. And a lot of times it's like it's not about. I mean, it's that they that uh, the you know for the people who decide okay this is enough that mm-hmm. moment of like. And now I'm ready to go and explain to the members. I didn't. We didn't get everything we wanted. We did our best. Here's why we decided that this was, you know, this should be enough. Yeah. At this and, point. And if and you know and and then if the members come back and say no, keep going. Well, so the um, so when there's a union contract, what yeah. procedurally the members have to vote to ratify it. Right. And so the members, oh, okay. the members, you know, so, so it goes to them anyway. Yeah. So, the, so the full membership has has the has an opportunity to vote. They could vote down an agreement mm-hmm. and say we reject this contract. The way that I do it, which mm-hmm. is somewhat controversial, is I when I put the vote out, it is ratify or strike. Okay. Uh, because I want to be able to say to the boss. I, I can I can either deliver you a deal or I can deliver you a strike and you get to pick. You get to pick, <laughs> right? Uh, right. Because it's because uh, if you keep going back and forth, the boss thinks there's more wiggle room. Right. And if you keep going back and forth, the 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 people think there's there's right. They, they, there there could be fiddle and diddle. Yeah. And so and and if people vote out a contract but then aren't willing to do anything, yeah, it's like then the boss is like, well, you and what army? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Uh, huh. That's fascinating. Wow. Okay, we are very close to an hour. Okay. Let me find out uh, what... First of all, everyone should uh, remember that I am speaking here in the Dork Forest with Nato Green. At Nato Green, N-A-T-O Green, G-R-E-E-N. Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. New album, The Whiteness Album, and uh, two monthly shows. Want a movie riffing thing? And uh, and you can find it all on, on your Instagram and it's, it's, it's Twitter. All, and it's all online. It's all online. You'll find I, it. I have an oeuvre. You oh you have an oeuvre, and uh, so the but what what's next? What do you what between the that's that's stand up right? You're working stand up. You're doing you're doing your thing. What do you want out of activism right now? Like what what's the next fun thing that you see coming for you? I don't know why this is a question. It feels like something that they would ask on a show, though. And this is a show. Uh, so why wouldn't I ask it? So <laughs> did you – are you aware of the Janice decision? No. Okay. Not so, offhand. Uh, <laughs> earlier this – in June, the, the Supreme Court, uh, the packed – the stolen Supreme Court yes. issued a ruling in a case called Janice. Okay. That was – in. There has been a long-term concerted effort by the right wing to destroy the labor movement okay. by uh, creating open shop, right? Okay. So ma- saying that uh, uh, public sector unions don't um, uh, don't have to – that people don't have to pay dues to be in a union. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, that you – so you ask yourself why would, you know, billionaires spend a lot of money and a lot of years – trying to defund the labor movement. Right. It's not hard to figure out. Right. It's not about the issue of... It's the words defund the labor union. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it, it actually, like, I, I, as people talk about it, I find myself thinking about that that joke on your album about the, your, your, the Scott Walker joke. Oh, the old Scott Walker joke. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, he wants to, with the teachers, he wants to... Uh, guns in the classroom, but um, no pensions. No pensions. <laughs> yeah, a terrible idea. Terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> so, uh, 
so the Janus decision came out, and it is generally perceived as a like an existential threat to the labor movement, right? Like you know that, and what's happening is the next step is that they're actually sending out organizers. There are these right wing foundations called like the Freedom Foundation that is are sending organizers all over the country to, to go, tell people to not to join go the tell, union. Go tell union members to stop paying their union dues, right? And I want to be in that fight. Okay. Uh, like, I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, it sounds terrifying to me. Uh, but uh, you, heartbeat uh, steady as a steady as a I rock over there. That the like the you know it's the it's the kind of thing where like people yeah, everybody's freaked out. Yeah. People are, like worried that we're going to lose everything. I want to be in the mix, man. Yeah. Um, you're li- well. At least you're going to be part of the solution. Yeah. And, you know whatever happens. Uh, because because here's the thing is like. You know, there is – I've been involved in the labor movement for over 20 years now and uh, the labor movement has been shrinking in membership that entire time. Right. I, you know, I feel like la- the labor movement has not been everything it should be or could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have – you know, I am a, a both a committed trade unionist and intensely critical of the practice of, of you, some, some unions. Sure. And, uh, well, the thing is, is, is everything is ripe for uh, corruption. Right. It's a, you can use any tool poorly and you can use any tool. You, you can, you can be bad with it. It doesn't mean that the tool is wrong. And that I know that that is the argument of gun control people, that the gun is just a tool, which it is. It is a tool. Um, that doesn't mean it also doesn't need to be legislated. I'm talking right. about the, the labor unions. So, yeah, and, and, you know, it's like when there's this kind of moment of crisis and, and particularly people are attacking the union from the outside and they're sending organizers to go to our members, the idea of, like, being able to go out to union members, that that, that kind of attack forces conversations that don't happen otherwise about, right. like, what are we about? What are we doing here? Like, right. what is this for? Uh you know what makes, is this for is 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 the conversation that they that people do need to have because then they'll realize what the money is for yeah and i yeah. And, and what you know the conversation i always want to have with union members is like it's not about you know did we win your personal grievance it's not about this contract settlement this whole thing is about power yeah let's stay laser focused on what you are a working person in america at the with the worst inequality in a hundred years what power do you have in society what are you going to do about it right uh and like so that's 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 the next thing for me that's awesome uh you know this has been fascinating uh thank you for for telling i I need to be talked through a lot of this stuff because i don't always get it and i i i gloss over some of the details and uh and uh, you're doing vital work with your stand-up comedy and with this activism. Thank you And very much. I learned stuff. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?